The following message by Shane Sowers is brought to you by Central Baptist Church, Aurora, Colorado. www.cbcaurora.com All right, uh, let's go to uh, Haggai, Haggai chapter 1. Uh, today we're going to be focusing in on verses 12 to 13. Haggai chapter 1, verses 12 to 13. While you're turning there, George Gallup, Gallup from the Gallup poll, he writes... There's little difference in ethical behavior between the churched and the unchurched. This was really hard to hear when I read this. So he's looking at the statistics of all the polls and everything, the information and data that they've gathered, and here's his conclusion. There is little difference in ethical behavior between the churched and the unchurched. There's as much pilferage and dishonesty among the churched as the unchurched. And I'm afraid that applies pretty much across the board. Religion per se is not really life-changing. People cite it as important, for instance, in overcoming depression, but it doesn't have primacy in determining behavior. So do we as Christians today, do we believe that when we became Christians that our lives were supposed to change? So what Gallup is saying is that statistics is showing that that's not the case. Chuck Swindoll, he writes in his book, I Surrender, that the church's integrity problem is in the misconception that we can add Christ to our lives but not subtract sin. It is a change in belief without change in behavior. Is that possible? for us to be Christians and have a change in our belief but not have a change in our behavior? You know, one of my my cousins in Hawaii, um, and I got lots of cousins in Hawaii, so this isn't going to implicate any of them. (laughs) One day is telling me all about Jesus and about their church service and all that stuff while he's lighting up a joint. That was jarring for me because I'm talking theology with somebody that's blowing marijuana smoke in my face. Um, Anyway, uh, it's interesting how this is commonplace. It continues to happen. And so when I'm reading the statistics that we're having, it's not like it takes a long time to think about instances where we can actually agree with what they're finding. Christians who profess to be Christ still living the same adulterous, sinful life that they've been living this whole time. Metanoia, literally translated change of mind, repentance, turning away from our sin. Repentance, turning away from our sin, simply, okay? So simply, metanoia, just, just, just a, a real quick, simple translation, change of mind. Uh, Wayne Grudem, he defines repentance as repentance is a heartfelt sorrow for sin, a renouncing of it, and a sincere commitment to forsake it and walk in obedience to Christ. Repentance. How many of you guys have ever read the word repentance in Scripture? Okay, some of you have, have seen repentance in Scripture. 
Yes, repentance is one of those subjects in scripture that you cannot get away from. So the question is this, when you look at the statistics and the data that we're collecting today, when it comes to the uh, idea of repentance, the question is, if there is no fruit of repentance, was there really repentance? See, this is key here that we get this. You know, because I feel like a lot of times we, we can fall into this idea where, we're, where we deceive ourselves into believing that we can have truly repented of our sins, but yet bear no fruit of it. We think that we can be a Christian who has faith in Christ, who has re- regeneration in our life, and who have repented from our sins and don't feel like there should be or that it's a big deal if there's no fruit in our lives. You know, I remember asking one individual, hey, you've been a Christian for 25 years. Have you ever led somebody to Christ before? Oh, no, no, I just, I just, I haven't. I don't normally do those kinds of things. You don't think it's important for you to evangelize? Oh, no, no, not, not important at all. So then we started to talk about fruit. Now, again, I don't think it's our job to examine fruit. We don't need to examine the fruit to see if it's real or we don't have to do that. That's not our job. That's the Lord's job. My job is to recognize that there is fruit. Okay? So if an avocado tree is bearing, is an avocado a fruit? I don't know. Anyway, um, let's use apple. I'm looking at an apple tree. I can tell where there's apples and I can tell when there's not. I can tell when a tree has not bore fruit for a long time, right? Matthew chapter 3, verse 8. Matthew chapter 3, verse 8. We're commanded, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. We are supposed to bear fruit. Hang on, buckle your seatbelt here. We are supposed to bear fruit. And the fruit that we bear is the product of repentance. If there is no fruit coming from repentance, then there might be a problem. If there is no fruit coming from the tree, our Lord Jesus did what to the tree? He cursed it. He cursed it. It's that simple. Why did Jesus curse the tree? Because the tree did not bear fruit. It's that simple. If there is no fruit, the tree is cursed. The life that is free from fruit that comes from regeneration and repentance and faith The life that is free from fruit that should come from repentance, regeneration, and faith. You ready? It's a wasted life. Oh, well, Shane, Shane, you're supposed to be a gospel preacher. I am, I am. I'm a gospel. We'll get to the good news. But Janelle will agree with me. We got to have the bad news first. All right, I got an amen from Janelle. She's listening. A wasted life. Man, there is one, one sermon I remember when I was young, and I listened to it younger. <laughs> um, uh, John Piper preached a sermon, he, and the sermon was entitled, Don't Waste Your Life. And man, wasting our life wasting the life that God had given us. 
that all the air, the fresh air that God has given us, all the fresh uh, resources that God has given us went into your life and you bore no fruit for the kingdom of God. That's a problem. Just FYI, just in case you don't realize this, that's a problem. (laughs) If there's no fruit, the tree is cursed. The life that is free from fruit that comes from regeneration, repentance, and faith is a wasted life. Sure, you may still make it to heaven, but none of the angels are going to want to be assigned to your rule. I'll tell you that right now. You don't bear fruit in life. Yeah, you might get to heaven, but when Jesus goes, okay, I need, I need you to go be under his rule, the angel is going to be like, oh. I have to be under the leadership of somebody who bore no fruit on earth. Family, for the sake of the angels, we need to make sure that fruit is in our lives. Are we wasting our lives today, wasted breath, wasted space, just being here and not doing anything for the kingdom of heaven, storing all of our treasure here on earth, and you get nothing when you're up in heaven. Fruit. It's important. The statistics, or if the statistics and observations show that the behavior of Christians and non-Christians do not really differ then we can conclude one thing. It's not true repentance. The message is not getting through. Our lives are supposed to be different. When an individual looks at a Christian and looks at a non-Christian, it's supposed to be different, right? Or is it just me? It's supposed to be different. It's supposed to look different. The message is not getting through. Puritan Thomas Watson, he wrote this great book, short little book, you should read it. Um, it, It's about repentance, true repentance. And he says that true repentance consists of these things, sight of sin, that we recognize sin. Number two, sorrow for sin. Three, confession of sin. Four, shame for sin. Five, hatred for sin. And six, turning from sin. But in our culture today, I wonder if we even got past the first mark. Do we even recognize sin as being sin anymore? But more for us today, did we turn from our sin? Charles Spurgeon, he writes, Repentance is a discovery of the evil of sin, a mourning that we have committed it, a resolution to forsake it, It is, in fact, a change of mind of a very deep and practical character, which makes the man love what he once hated and hate what he once loved. Do we hate our sin today? J.I. Packer, the great J.I. Packer, he writes this. Repentance means turning from as much as you know of your sin to give as much as you know of yourself to as much as you know of your God. And as our knowledge grows at these three points, so our practice of repentance has been enlarged. Wow. 
And then John Piper writes, repenting means experiencing a change of mind that now sees God as true and beautiful and worthy of all our praise and our obedience. So, the question, have we missed something today? I mean, something is happening in our culture that I'm wanting to make sure that we recognize and that we see. Lots happening in our culture. Lots going on. Okay? And, and, and as, we, as we're out there, as we're pressing into our culture, as we're trying to evangelize, as we're reaching out to the lost, reaching out to the ignorant, to reaching out to the people that are lost and caught and slave in our culture right now, we're seeing some very, very clear things when it comes to how people view the church today. We got to stop viewing the church by just looking at the church. We got to get outside of the bubble to see what's really going on. Have we missed something? Have we misunderstood something? Have we lost something? Are we even concerned about this today? Does it even matter to us today? Or are we just going to take on the characteristic of our culture? and waste our life. Wasting our life. Being a tree that bears no fruit. Yes, repentance is a lost characteristic in modern evangelicalism today. If you don't believe me, look at the statistics. The statistics prove that. But the problem runs a bit deeper today. We are not in the habit of continual repentance. And get this, if you forget everything that I said today, don't forget this. The reason why we are not in a habit of continual repentance today is because we just don't fear God anymore. Say I'm lying. We don't fear God anymore. And people say the absolute most outrageous stuff about God. They do. This is our wrestling match today. This is our battle today. We have no idea who we're fooling with today. No idea who you're messing with. <laughs> it's like what, uh, Steve, wherever, where Steve is at. Steve's at, he's doing security right now. So Steve used to always say in, 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 in high school before he was a Christian, you know, and he'd be hanging out doing his thing. You know, he tells this story all the time. That's why I feel like I can tell it, you know. So he's doing his thing. He's at the club, you know, he's at a restaurant, whatever it is. And people want to front. People want to get in his face. People want to fight him. Ariel, Sabrina, have you heard this one before? What, ha- what he says when people want to fight him? Yeah, puts everything down, steps up to the guy and says, you obviously don't know who you're messing with. I'm going to try that if that ever ever happens. See if it really works. (laughs) But family, what's the idea of that? We obviously don't know who we're messing with today. We we just obviously something is wrong. Something has gone awry. I, I cannot believe I've heard some of the most blasphemous things come out of the mouths from Christians when it comes to God. Do you not fear God? Are you not afraid? You realize that it's not even just a snap of the finger. 
It's not even the blink of an eye. And God will snatch that breath out of you so fast. And potentially face the wrath of God for eternity. All because of what? Because you just can't keep your mouth shut? <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't even do it just the poss- even if I didn't believe in God, I wouldn't do it just for the possibility that I might be wrong. It's not necessary for you to say some of the blasphemous things that we hear from people today. But not just that, family. The atrocities that we hear coming from the mouths of Christians today. The atrocities of what we are hearing. The atrocities of what we're seeing. The atrocities of what we are doing in the name of Christ. We do not experience the sorrow for sin because we do not fear the one who we sinned against. That's the problem. There's no true repentance because there is, not no, there is no fear of God, it seems, anymore. But Shane, come on, here's the thing. I didn't do nothing to God. I, I'm not. When I sin, I don't sin against God. I did not sin against God Shane, do you see, understand? Do you understand? I did not sin against God. I did not sin against God. But when David sinned with Bathsheba, he did such atrocities against her and her husband Uriah that we see here something very interesting in Psalm 51 when David said in Psalm 51 verse 4, Psalm 51 verse 4, against you and you alone have I sinned. When we sin against others, we sin against God. Do you know what? Martin Luther, out of the reformer, beloved reformer Martin Luther, he said this You cannot break commandments number five through ten without breaking commandment number one. That comes first. Family, in order for there to be real revival, there needs to be real repentance. Before there can be real change, there needs to be real repentance. Before there can be real repentance, there must be a real fear of God. Fear of God is a must. And family, let me just say this. For if there really is a fear of God, if you really and truly fear God, you won't fear anything else. Haggai chapter 1, verses 12 to 13. Haggai 1, 12 to 13. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people, with the Lord's message, I am with you, declares the Lord. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for all that you do, Lord. God, I pray that your word be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you're taking notes, the first thing we're going to look at today is the true repentance of the people and their obedience to build the temple of the Lord. And the second thing we will look at is this notable fear of the Lord that were in the hearts of the people in their obedience with the comfort of forgiveness. 
The comfort of forgiveness. So our thesis statement is this today. Though sin and the pattern of this world cause us to continue life without true repentance, without fear of God, it's the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of the scriptures that will cause us to recognize that our God is to be feared with true sorrow for sin and the gladness of salvation. Point number one. Repentance, turning from sin to obedience. Again, turning from sin to obedience. The people, when they heard the message of the Lord from Haggai, they obeyed the message of God. They obeyed the message of the Lord. They did what the word of God told them to do. Here's something important. When we repent, we turn from our sins and turn to obedience to what the word of God has told us to do. It's not hard, but is it? <laughs> it's interesting, but is it? They stopped doing what they were doing in rebellion and started doing what they were supposed to do in obedience. So what did they do? They stopped focusing, right? They were building their houses, not just building their houses, but building their luxurious houses while the temple of the Lord laid in waste, So they stopped focusing on building their houses, their luxurious houses, to start building the temple of God. And what we have here is a really good picture of repentance. Super good picture of repentance. They stopped building their houses, their luxurious houses. They said, okay, we need to stop Hey guys, you guys want to go hang out and go over to uh, the park over there and let's watch the Super Bowl while we smoke some chicken wings? And then they just hang out here. Oops. And make sure whoever's doing the video, you, you don't, don't show me tripping. <laughs> just a quick cut, just a quick cut. And then they're just hanging out here. Two days, three days, hanging out here, doing what is it there? Hey, you guys want to go, you know, go play over there? Let's go to the beach. Let's go hang out at the beach for a while. Let's go on vacation, you know. Let's go do some things to, you know, to, to strengthen our, our, our spirits. Let's, let's, go, let's go, you know, get away so we can clear our mind. Let's go have some fun. No, they stopped building the house so that they would start building the Lord's temple. They stopped building the house and started building the Lord's temple. It's not enough to stop. We also got to start. This is huge when it comes to repentance because this is what happens, I believe, in the body of Christ today. We stop doing the things that we know we're not supposed to do but we never start doing the things that we're supposed to do. We just go hang out and do something else. If all they did was stop building their house, they would still not be okay. It's not enough to stop transgressing the law of God. Many times I think we think that we're okay because we're repentant because we just stop doing the bad things that we know we're not supposed to do. However, think back. Think back to the days where we, we had a mom and we had a dad. Some of you, you guys still have that. Remember when mom told us that what we needed to do was clean our room? 
Shane, you need to clean your room. Do you still remember? Can you still hear that, Linda and Betty telling you, clean your room? Yeah, okay. Yeah, Betty, wow, you know. I mean, just walking out there, Betty tells me to do something. I, did, I just did it. That, right? You don't ask questions when Betty tells you to do something, you know. Um, anyway, um, mom tells us to clean our room. But instead of cleaning our room, we go down into the basement to play Call of Duty on our Xbox. Right? Supposed to clean the room, but instead Call of Duty on the Xbox. And then mom comes down, sees you playing video games, and mom comes down and said, I told you to clean your room. Stop playing those video games and go clean your room. I mean it, right? It's like you won't listen to mom until she says, I mean it, right? I mean it. And what if we just stopped playing the video game Okay, okay, mom, fine. I'll stop playing the video game. Then we go to the other room and start watching the football game. And then mom's, what are you doing? Didn't I tell you to clean your room? Ah, you told me to stop playing the video game. And that's what I did. Well, stop playing or stop watching TV and go clean your room. Okay, fine. We turn off the TV. Then we're walking by and we see our sister playing with Legos. Oh. And now we're sitting down playing with Legos. What did I tell you to do? I told you that you need to go clean your room. I didn't tell you to go play Legos. No, no, no. You told me to stop watching TV and that's what I did. It's not enough for us to stop. We also got to start it's not enough to stop we also gotta start there's another way i want to illustrate this point um the westminster shorter catechism question number 14 asks a simple question what is sin this is going to change your life all right this is this is beautiful because this is in the children's catechism right so our kids are learning this stuff what is sin and this is amazing. When they define sin in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, it says this. Sin is any want of conformity or transgression of the law of God. And then the catechism will break it down even more. It'll ask, what is want? We, we learned it uh, with the song. You guys do the Shorter Catechism with the song? So I, I can hear the song. What is want of conformity? And then you have the kid respond, not being or doing. Okay, not being, not doing what God requires. Do you get that? Want of conformity, what is that? It's not being and not doing what God requires. It's a want, sin is any want of conformity or transgression. So what's transgression? Doing what God forbids. So sin is not being or not doing what God requires and doing what God forbids. I think, family, we're good today. We're really good in the church of forgetting about or or doing a really good job of keeping us from doing what God forbids. If God forbids it, we're really pretty good about not doing that. 
where we're really failing in the body of Christ is the want of conformity. We are not being and we are not doing what God requires. Not being, not doing what God requires. Doing what God forbids. See, we think all we need to do is make sure we don't cross that line. Right? As long as we get close, we get really close to that line. But as long as we don't cross it, we're good. And all we're doing in Christianity is just living our life, but just making sure that whatever we do, we're just not going to cross that line. And then when one of our brothers and sisters are coming close, we go, oh, whoa, 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 wait, wait, look, you can cross the line. Let's not cross the line. Keeping everybody from crossing, doing a really good job of keeping everybody from crossing the line. When we don't realize that Christianity is not just about not crossing the line, it's also about climbing the ladder. This is important. It's not just not crossing the line. It's also climbing the ladder. It's a negative and a positive aspect to this. This is why I say all the time, there's so many times in our lives, we think we're not sinning, but Pastor Shane is telling me that I am. Why does he keep doing this? He keeps saying, no, you're still falling short. You're still falling short. I have not crossed that line. And Pastor Shane is telling me I'm sinning. Oh, Because it's not a matter of you not crossing the line. I'm saying, yeah, you didn't cross the line. Did you climb the ladder? No, then you're sinning. Man, how do you figure that? (laughs) It's a negative and a positive. This is the reality of sin. It's not about not just not crossing the line. It also includes climbing the ladder. It's not just don't do it. It's also just do it. Ooh. For many of us, we think that sin is simply doing, uh, simply doing what God does not want us to do. We think it's all about the thou shalt nots, but it's also about the nots, the other nots, not being or doing what God requires. It's not just don't steal, don't lie, don't cheat, don't kill, don't drink, don't chew, don't go with girls that do. But it's also not loving God, not loving your neighbor, not obeying your parents, not showing brotherly kindness, not giving generously, not being at peace, not being hospitable. What? Hospitable. What? Come on, Shane. No, I'm not messing. Not being hospitable is a horrible, horrible sin. Oh, Shane's lost it. Shane's, he done lost it today. Shane had heart surgery, taking all that medication. He lost his mind. I give him credit. It's been a couple of years that he lost his mind. Shane is now saying, that not being hospitable is a horrible, horrible sin. Question for you today. You think the real reason why Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed was because of sodomy? Don't say amen. I'm setting you up. You think sodomy was the reason Sodom and Gomorrah got destroyed? 
Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 49. Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 49. Sodom's sin were pride, gluttony, and laziness, while the poor and needy suffered outside her door. Do you guys even know that was in the Bible? Yeah, we think that that's the reason why Sodom and Gomorrah got bombed. <laughs> no. Pride, gluttony, and laziness while poor and needy suffered outside her door. Sure, sodomy was part of it because the, that passage continues and talks about her detestable sins. Sodomy was part of the detestable sins. But look at the glaring issue that came right away. Not being hospitable, not being who we're supposed to be is a horrible, horrible sin and the reason why Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed. They were not hospitable to people who were needy. Not being who God has called us to be is a glaring, glaring, glaring sin. We are falling way short if we think all we got to do is not cross the line. Family, we've got to climb the ladder. We've also got to climb the ladder. We will be disciplined for this. We will face God's correction if we don't climb the ladder. This is not just we got to don't do, but we got to be who God has called us to be. If we are not humble, generous, hardworking, hospitable, loving our enemies, judgment comes. Not turning the other cheek, showing kindness, building the kingdom, using your talents for God, judgment comes. Not supporting God's work, doing God's work, controlling the tongue, considering others as better than yourself, loving not our lives even unto death, judgment comes. Not looking after widows and orphans, not being polluted by this world, denying self, taking up our cross and following Christ, judgment comes man we're called to so much more than not crossing the line God has called us to also climb the ladder Jesus punctuates this concept of climbing the ladder in his golden rule do you know that all other golden rules, there's golden rules all over the world, all other religions, all other philosophies, Eastern philosophies, Western philosophy, all this, there are all these golden rules. It's always in the negative. Did you know that? Always in the negative. Don't do to something, don't do to someone what you don't want done to you. That's essentially the golden rule of all the religions in the world. That's what makes Jesus' golden rule so radical. You fail the golden rule of all the bad religions or the religions in the world and the philosophies in the world, you fail if you do something mean to somebody. Jesus' golden rule, you fail if you don't do something good for somebody. Do you know that? Radical. Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. Matthew 7, 12. Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. Oh yeah, don't do good for people, then you sin. It's not about not doing anything bad. It's not about not doing anything good. Sitting there not doing anything is the quality of a stone, not a disciple of Christ. Man, this is huge. This is what modern evangelicalism has turned into today. 
just a bunch of lines all around and just say, hey, you're a good Christian and you're pleasing to God as long as you don't cross that line. Hey, people are doing bad things. We're just not going to get involved because I am a Christian. I'm a good Christian. Man, I've been Christian for years. You know, I'm not going to jeopardize my soul. I'm not going to get involved with them. No, God has called us to be more. Not only are we not supposed to do bad things to our neighbor, we are commanded to do good things for our neighbor. So it's not just that we don't go along and go along and steal with them. We help them, don't we? At least call the police. If, if you guys don't feel like going over there and putting the smack down on some thieves, you guys don't want to beat up some thieves, okay, fine. You can at least call the police, right? How can we do nothing, especially if we can do something? 1 John chapter 3, verse 17. 1 John chapter 3, verse 17. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? If you can help and you don't, how can God's love be in that person? For, or, uh, uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 4. Philippians 2, 4. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Romans chapter 12, verse 13. Romans 12, 13. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. How can we not do this and say that God's love dwells within us? Our hearts should burn and yearn for being what it is that God has called us. It's not just keeping ourselves from doing bad things. We got to be doing good things. And to, to not do good things is also bad because we're robbing God of his glory. Did you know that? When you go to heaven and you stand before God, what are you going to say when the Lord tells you of all the times you robbed him of his glory? Is that serious? Not giving God glory, is that serious? Oh, absolutely it's serious. Acts chapter 12, verse 23. Acts chapter 12, 23. Instantly an angel of the Lord struck Herod with sickness because he accepted the people's worship instead of giving the glory to God. So he was consumed with worms and died. How are we not giving God's glory by not doing what we're supposed to do? Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Wow. Yeah, not doing good works won't get people to respond to it by giving glory to God. Hey. Repentance is not just a change of mind that leads to turning away from what we're not supposed to be doing, but also turning also to all that we are supposed to be doing. And this is why the statistics are against us. This is why it's hard to evangelize today. It's hard enough, this, this, is, oh, this is what burns within me. Do you know that it's hard enough to have conversations about God and the Bible with non-believers as is? Do you know how hard that is? Hey, Donna, are, are you this week? Or? Okay. Do you know how hard that is? Having conversations about God and Scripture with people who don't believe, people who are atheists, agnostics. Do you know how hard that is? 
It's really hard to do. It's really hard to have these conversations, these gospel God conversations they like to have. Do you know how hard it is to do just as is? But man, you know how much harder it is to do it when you gotta keep cleaning up after Christians who just don't, you know, who just are doing their, their or, or crossing the line but not climbing the ladder. And they point that out. So I'm having a hard time talking about what God does and what God does for his people and all these types of things. And I go, oh yeah, that's why my Christian neighbor on the other side, he keeps, you know, uh, twisting my sprinkler so that I water part of his lawn. And I'm like, yeah, you know, there's some Christians, they, they do things like that. But, you know, really what we, he's still following, you know, God's word. You know, the wealth of the wicked is stored up for the righteous. You know, all, he's still using scripture. I'm just kidding. <laughs> you, you try to, you're just constantly having to spin, constantly having to make the case for why can't we just do this? So that when people are out there trying to evangelize, trying to tell people about the gospel, trying to present the gospel to people that we don't have to keep apologizing and keep making excuses for Christians who constantly fall short. Again, it's hard enough as it is. We don't need to add to this. Having to defend Christianity from non-believers calling us out because TV evangelists are asking Christians to pay for a third private jet for him and it's making the news. Well, saying, man, if Christianity is, is, is all about forsaking everything that you got in order for you to, to, to worship God, what in the world are your TV evangelists doing when they're asking for private jets? Well, let's not talk about, no, 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 let's talk about. You know how hard it is to do that? I'm sure many of you have experienced that. You know, I mean, I remember back when I was much younger <laughs> and I'm in Bible college and I'm talking to people about Christianity. They always brought up, well, what about swagger? Ugh, had to do the swagger thing to defend against Swaggart. What about Baker? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm going to be the Baker. What about, whoa, what? It's just all this stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's hard. Why are we contributing to this? This is why I'm, I'm so adamant about this. Why I'm so adamant about Christians not supporting these ministries. They got to go away because, man, I'm telling you, they are making things difficult. Making things hard. When Christians are not bearing the fruit of repentance. And you know why they do this? You know, I'm just, I just pray about this. I remember one day praying. And I remember it just finally dawned on me when I'm praying for the, the, the guys that are out there that are just deceiving people and building these huge ministries and getting private jets and all that stuff. And I remember I'm praying. And I'm asking God about this. How could you do something like that? Like, seriously. I mean, it's bad enough that you ask for one private jet. He's asking for his third one. The third one. He's got to have an upgraded one. Asking for the third one. You ask. People are struggling. People are broke these days. And you are asking 
for money so that you can have a third private jet. How could you do that? And I remember it hit me really, really hard that one day. Because we don't fear God anymore. You can't tell me that a person that does something like that actually fears God. Oh, come on. I remember Martin Luther uh, reading an account that he would talk about how um, when when he first started presenting and preaching the gospel, he would say things like, I was surprised when I preached the gospel that anybody could hear me. Well, that's a weird thing for Martin Luther to say. Why would anybody not be able to hear you while you're preaching the gospel? He said, because when I got up to preach the gospel, I was so terrified of offending God that my knees were knocking. Do we fear God anymore these days? See, I wonder if we're more afraid of offending our culture than we are about offending God. I mean, it's just gotta be, right? It's just gotta be. How in the world can we as the church be supporting a lot of the things that are happening that are an absolute affront and blasphemous to our Lord today? We're even to the place where Christian leaders and Christians professing modern-day evangelicals, they can't even define what a guy and a girl is. Well, Shane, we got to be careful with our words. We got to be careful with our words because if we're not careful with our words, then it's going to offend some people. Oh, okay. So we're afraid of offending some people, but absolutely not afraid of blaspheming the word of God. Male and female, he created them. We're more afraid of the culture than we are of Christ. Fear of God. Here in Haggai, the fear of God burned in the hearts of the people. When we hear the word of God, does it still stir fear in our hearts? Yes, Jesus is our brother. Yes, God loves us like a father. But he is still the living God. Jesus is still the living God who when he comes back will have fire in his eyes. One of my mentors used to say all the time, hey, Shane, you know what? We're on Jesus' side. When Jesus comes to judge the living and the dead, when he brings about the catastrophes and all the judgments that we read about in Revelation, he goes, you're on his side. You are one of the boys. You are his family. You are his brothers, your brother. And when you watch what he does, you're going to be terrified. That was such an eye-opener to me. Because we've got to understand who it is. Who it is. Yeah, Jesus is my brother. He truly is my brother. But when I see my brother, I recognize who he is. And every crown and every jewel that I have on my head, I'm going to throw and cast at his feet. I am going to bow down on my knees and I'm going to cry, holy, holy, holy. I'm going to worship and praise my brother, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Alpha and the Omega. So awesome is he that we're not going to need the sun anymore. The sun can fizzle up, dry out, burn out. 
but Jesus is going to light the universe. Come on. We got to break out of this apathy family. We do. We just got to get out of it. Do you know apathy actually is what they refer to as practical atheism? Yeah, apathy. Yeah, you believe in God. I believe God exists, but we act like there isn't a God. We act like there isn't a God. Practice is that of a person who does not believe in God. We say we believe that there's a God, but we act like there is no God. When people look at us, do they say, I don't think that person really believes there is a God. Because if they really did believe the true God as described in the Bible, then they would not act that way. They would not do those things. If you really believe the scripture, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31, Hebrews 10, 31, it's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. If you actually believe that, I don't think that you'd be acting the way that you're acting. I don't think that you'll just not be trying to not cross that line. I'd be trying to think that you guys would be fighting to climb that ladder if you really believed. If you really believe there was a God, you would fear him. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. Matthew 10, 28. Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both your soul and body in hell. Do we fear God anymore? Do we fear the idea that God is not just loving, but God also displays wrath. Do we recognize that? I mean, we always make a joke, right, about how I feel like a lot of modern evangelical Christians, they're going to make it to heaven, but when they walk through the doors of heaven, they're going to smell like smoke. They just missed hell, right? We, we have that saying all the time. Yeah, this person was just, they just missed hell. They'll make it into heaven, but they make it into heaven smelling like smoke. And you know, just this weekend or this, this past couple of days when I'm smoking, we got this new smoker and I'm smoking meat. Have you guys ever smoked meat? I mean, it's amazing. It's just what it does to chicken. No, 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 no. You guys know that there's these beasts that have eyes all over them that have these low voice that say, bah, holy, 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 these beasts and stuff like that. I, 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 they like people that smell like smoke. <laughs> I always kind of wonder that. People coming in smelling like smoke. I can't resist. The dogs can't resist meat that smells like smoke. I think those creatures that are sitting at the throne of Jesus, they can't resist people who come in and smell like smoke. Yeah, you'll come walking into heaven smelling like smoke and get eaten by those creatures. <laughs> Family, God's not just mad at us. God's furious with us. Mankind, he is furious with us. Furious, absolutely furious. Oh, Shane, what do you mean by he's furious? You know Romans 1, chapter 18, the wrath of God is being poured out on all flesh. Do you know what the Greek word is for wrath? Orge. Can you think of one English word for anger that sounds like orge? Anger, indignation, temper, outrage? No. You know what orge sounds like in the English word? Sounds like orgy, doesn't it? That's what it reminds me of. 
So when we define that, we think orgy. Orgy, understood as unbridled lust, passion, the ultimate of lustful perversion, the highest intensity of lustful passion. What is the Greek word trying to describe? That what God is feeling towards mankind is the ultimate unbridled fury. You cannot get more indignant, more angry, more passionate in fury than what God feels. That's what God feels. God is not just mad at us, family. He is furious with us. It is a serious thing. It's a real thing. What a terrible thing it is to fall into the hands of the living God. The punishment that will be dished out on all mankind will be horrible, awful, eternal, darkness, fire, weeping, and gnashing of teeth. And in the end, it'll be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah than it's going to be for us. It's all of us. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is no one righteous. No, not one. There is no one on earth who always does good and never sins. We are by nature children of orge, children of wrath. Romans chapter 3, 18. They have no fear of God at all. But Shane, okay, I get it. You said it. I'm I'm feeling you. I got you. Can we be saved from this? Absolutely. Can we have life still? Absolutely. Do we have to go through that punishment? No, you don't. This is why Jesus came, to seek and save that which was lost, to live the life we should have lived, And he also died the death we should have died. Is there salvation? Yes. We can rejoice today because Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. And he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. He became sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He personally carried our sins in his bodies on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. Family, there is salvation for us. He will be with us because he promises that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. He wrote these things so that we would believe that Jesus Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, and that by believing, we would have life in his name. Yes, family, for us, he's granted the gift of repentance, and we pray that we will continue to produce the fruits of repentance, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we would continue to live the life of repentance. But Shane, as Christians, we still sin. Absolutely, we do. But Christians are not those who don't always sin. Because we do. Christians are not those who don't always sin. Christians are those who always repent. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. For more information about Central Baptist Church, go to www.cbcaurora.com.